foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua. Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio. Before we go forward in our study this morning in Revelation, we have to remember always that Israel is not just a part of Adonai's plan for the end of days. Israel as a nation, Israel as a people, is in fact the center of Yeshua's return and the surrounding events in that regard. And these surrounding events encompass trouble so great that there's never been anything like it in the earth. Those of you who are avid Bible readers recall back in Jeremiah chapter 30, the entire chapter deals with Adonai's promise to restore Israel following our exile into Babylonian captivity. The term in that chapter, Jacob's trouble, is a prophetic term that Jeremiah used to describe the tribulation that the nation of Israel will go through. But as is often the case with Bible prophecy, God's words have a double meaning, have a double fulfillment as well. And so the day of the Lord's return is both a single day and a season as well that surrounds that day. And the scriptures consistently paint that that is going to be a difficult time to be alive. If we think fear is running rampant today, as we saw all week in Florida, we haven't seen nothing yet. Bad grammar. Sorry, Sandy. In fact, in Jeremiah 30, verses 5, 6, and 7, essentially says that the time of Jacob's trouble will be so terrible, my friends, that men will act like women in labor, grabbing their stomachs, unable to control their bladders. That's how petrified men are going to be in the last days. Now, one of the main purposes of these end of days is to cleanse the earth of unrighteousness, right? To cleanse the earth of sin. The judgments that Adonai are to, he will send are to purge this planet of its filth. That's the good news. Yeshua compared the last days to the time of Noah, Noah, and alluded to the time of Lot and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the evil of these Acharit Hayamim, these last days, the evil of that generation will reach such a point that Adonai must bring judgment. People today, we look out in the world, people today are becoming more defiant against God. Yet in His mercy, He continues to withhold His full judgment. According to both biblical pattern and history, however, at some point, at some point, something is going to give. It has to. We're beginning to see now even signs of this impending judgment today. Yeshua assured us that there would be signs to indicate that this time of judgment is arriving. And he specifically warned us that when you and I see these signs, it will be like the beginning of what? Birth pains. There is a profound connection between what the Hebrew prophets said about these pains and what we will be looking at in our ongoing study of the book of Revelation. And so beginning today in chapter 6, the scene shifts from the throne of heaven where we talked about the last couple of times to earth and describes what is going to take place. My friends, it's not a pretty picture. The lamb begins to unseal the scroll that we began looking at last Shabbat to unleash the processes, if you will, of judgment and deliverance, which will eventuate in the restoration of earth's rule under the Son of Man. And as you know, I try to be positive here. Try to be an encourager. I resonate with Barnabas. Barnabas so much. I try to be an encourager. But I have to tell you, this sermon is not going to be pleasant at all. 
for the future section of this book that we're going to look at. We're going to look at a series of three series of sevens. There are going to be seven seals. The seventh seal leads into seven shofars. The seventh shofar leads into seven uh, bowls, all of which are symbolically poured out on the earth in the judgment of God. The seven seals are the first of these threefold series of judgments. And so, as we look over the next number of weeks, months, potentially, the seals, soul, uh, shofars, and, and, and bold judgments all seem to fit best in the last seven-year period prophesied by Daniel. In addition, the order of events predicted in this chapter is very similar to the order that Yeshua predicted in the Olivet Discourse, in the Synoptic Accounts from the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24, Mark 13, etc., which he referred to again as the beginning of birth pains. Yet the believers in our world today who subscribe to the pre-tribulation position posit that the ecclesia, the body of believers, will be taken from the earth prior to the initial judgments contained as we look today in these seals. You've heard enough scriptural teaching over the years from me here that you know that I don't believe that to be tenable biblically at all. My friends, Yeshua followers are going to be here for the events on the earth which are the result of the breaking of these seals. So let's look at what is going to go down. Begin in verse 1 of chapter 6. So It's shifting now from the throne to earth. Next I watched as the Lamb in heaven here broke the first of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living beings, we talked about them last time, say in a thundering voice, Go! And I looked, and there in front of me was a white horse. Its rider had a bow and was given a crown, and he rode off as a conqueror to conquer. I watched. Marks the continuation of what Yochanan or John had seen in the preceding two chapters we talked about that they record, but also the commencement of revelation concerning future events on the earth. Now, it says in Scripture here, a kiruv, a cherub, an angel of that class, different from the seraph angels, gave this command four times, we're going to look at today, and each time a horseman on a horse came forth. And so the first four sealed judgments involving, involve riders riding horses of various colors, right? Now this imagery, you'll go back and you'll remember them in Zechariah chapter 1 and chapter 6. Similarities from what we're looking at today, but similarities in all of the three passages, Zechariah 1, 6, and Revelation 6, include the similarities include the number of horses and that the horsemen and the visions are sent from Adonai and answered to angels. And so we recall that the context of these horses in, Revela in the book of Zechariah, rather, is primarily about the remnants of Israel and what they did in turning back to God. Revelation, likewise, is about the remnant of Israel as well. The end goal for the remnant of Israel, both in Zechariah and in Revelation, is the rebuilding of the temple, whether that's a physical temple or a spiritual temple. That's the key point to remember as we consider these horsemen. But there's some dissimilarities too in those three passages, such as that there's four charioteers rather than four horsemen in Zechariah. The horses vary significantly as well of the three horsemen visions. They represent a different mission from one another in those three different passages. In the Zechariah passages that contain the horses, we find that the, the two missions there, the riders are sent out into the four winds, the Bible tells us. Now, both of those Zechariah missions, as they're sent out to the four winds of the earth, are reconnaissance-style missions in which the riders observed what's going on in the earth relative to the remnant of Israel. 
and then they would report back. This is why the riders in Zechariah's visions are not seen to be carrying gear or weapons. They were not sent out to actually change anything in the world of man, but only to observe and only to write, make a report. Now, by contrast here, the four horsemen, as it were, of Revelation are given weapons. They're given gear. They're given other equipment for use in their mission. Why? Because, as I mentioned beginning last week, judgment day has come. The four horsemen here we're going to look at in Revelation 6 are in fact the first tangible agents of judgment day sent forth by Messiah specifically for a purpose, to unleash God's righteous judgments upon this world. The righteous judgments. And this time these riders are not only on reconnaissance, observing in their mission, observing on behalf of Israel and the remnants of Israel. Now, this mission, they are released to inflict the introductory judgments of the scroll upon the world for the sake of Israel. And so the four horsemen of Revelation are the agents of these introductory judgments that will prepare the ground, as it were, for later judgment, events of that later judgment. Now, let's look at it. Yochanan sees a horse, a war machine in his day. The horse was white, which is the color of righteousness and justice. I'm going to take a little bit of a different position than most commentaries with you on this one. The most popular interpretation of this white horse rider symbolizes political and military leaders' destabilizing quest to expand their realms. Or they write that the, it is the anti-Messiah or pictures, or pictures the anti-Messiah spirit coming into the world. But that theory, I'm not necessarily buying it because of the fact that in the book of Revelation all throughout, in every single place, white is associated with righteousness and justice and holiness. The rider, it says, we looked here in the opening verses, carries what? Carries a bow, right? There's no mention of him carrying any arrows, though. And therefore, it seems to me that this is nonviolent conquest being referred to here. And so for that reason, I'm of the opinion that this rider represents Yeshua, the sword-wielding Word of God, who rides a white horse in chapter 19, we're going to look at much later, or represents the victorious course of the gospel, whose conquest is spiritual rather than physical. I've always seen in scriptures how revival and judgment parallel, and I see it here as well. And so the first judgment of the scroll could easily be a judgment of blessing for Israel. You see, remember, our Messiah is the champion of Israel. And therefore, the white horse is primarily sent to benefit Israel, Messiah's first concern. And so this rider is a messenger sent forth from Messiah to provide the remnant of Israel what they need to meet the challenges of Judgment Day. I'm not asking you to agree with me. Now, unlike the white horse rider, the other three horsemen we're going to look at now are sent as judgment to the nations of the earth that are in that are complicit or oppressing Israel through many generations. So let's go on. Verse 3. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Go. Another horse went out, a red one. And its rider was given the power to take peace away from the earth and make people slaughter each other. He was given a great sword. Second seal represents devastating war. We see the horsemen sent forth to instigate war. It's a He's riding a red horse, the great sword. Makira Megale in the Greek represents authority to slaughter people. You see, it's, it doesn't mean big. It means effective. 
You would say that's a great knife. You mean it's a sharp knife when you say that. The word for sword here is not the word for a big, broad sword. It's the word makaira, which means a dagger. A dagger. Very important that it means that because in scriptural days, the zealots would carry a makaira, a dagger, in the sleeves of their robes. They walked through the marketplace and would take out this makaira, this dagger. The sharper it was, the greater it was. They used the dagger in guerrilla warfare, or what we would call today what? Terrorism. Now, it could be that this is a prediction of widespread prevalence of terrorism. We know that the 20th century was the most violent and barbaric in history, and what we have seen in the first 17 years doesn't seem, of this century doesn't seem like we're improving on that. Now, the wars to come are but the birth pains of the return of the Messiah Yeshua and the resurrection of the departed dead of Israel and the righteous from all nations. We're witnessing the resurgence today of anti-Semitism, of Islam, again, is on the warpath, as it was a thousand years ago. But the war in view seems to be here, part of what Ezekiel describes as Gog and Magog in chapters 38 to 39. I don't, can't get into that today. The red horse unleashed. Go on. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Go. I looked, and there in front of me was a black horse, and its rider held in his hand a, a pair of scales. And then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living beings saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for the same price, but don't damage the oil or the wine. Deadly poverty. Seal number three. God always in the scriptures uses lack to turn people to repentance. So we see here this black horse follows the, the white and the red horse, symbolizing the ravages of war, namely severe shortages and famine. And so it's describing what? A particular time on the earth where there's going to be economic collapse. The rider is carrying a pair of scales symbolizing commerce, indicating his control of commodity prices. The voice from among the four living beings, who's that? That's God the Father. He's the ultimate source of all these judgments. The prices of both wheat, the good food, and barley, the cheap cattle food, are going to be very high. The measure of wheat is the amount of wheat it will take to sustain a man for one day as he has to pay a full day's wages for that particular two-pound measure of wheat. But he gets three times as much of the less nutritionist stuff, barley, for the same price. Times are going to be so bad, my friends, so bad economically, that a man's going to work all day and he only makes enough to feed himself, not his family, not his children, not his wife. Now that is hyperinflation. That is eight to ten times normal. And the scarcity we see of basic food stuffs here. And that's putting an extreme strain on the poor. Now, the oil here that it's talking about is referring to olive oil. And both oil and wine were, relatively speaking, luxury items. And it appears that the wealthy will not be suffering as much initially as the poor, since there's no shortage of these luxury items, probably due to the fact, just on an agrarian you know, perspective, that both olive trees and grapevines send their roots down very deep in soil and thus are not easily, as easily affected by droughts because of that. And so the scarcity is limited here in this judgment, not comprehensive. And so as the tribulation goes on and gets worse, the rich 
as well as the poor, are going to suffer. But at the early stage of it, the poor are going to suffer more than the rich. Now, probably the wars that the ungodly rulers are going to start, we're going to look at that in our study, under the anti-Messiah's leadership, are greatly going to have this food supply reduced. Are you excited? I don't want to be preaching this stuff. Let's go back to the throne room, chapter 5. Let's go on. When you broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living being say, Go. I looked, and there in front of me was a, a pallid, sickly-looking horse. Its rider's name was Death, and she all followed behind Death. And they were given authority to kill one quarter of the world by war, by famine, by plague, and with the wild animals of the earth. Interesting. Yochanan sees a chloros-colored, pallid color, a yellowish or grayish-green horse. You've seen a dead body, that's the color we're talking about. In an atomic age, thank you, North Korea, this is the color associated with radiation, with atomic war. And unlike the red horse rider, which we just talked about, who only kills with his makaira, his dagger, this rider has multiple means to destroy large numbers of people rapidly and thoroughly. He's not sent into all the earth, but he is limited in authority to one-fourth of the earth. Now, presumably, the anti-Messiah, the cause of widespread death that will follow, is the writer here, since his name is Death. Death claims the material part of the, of the human. Sheol, the grave, the immaterial. Adonai gave Death and Sheol authority to take one-fourth of the world's population. Now, notice here that warfare leads to famine, which leads to plagues. Describing a time when disease is going to be so rampant in our world that it's going to contribute, which will also contribute to the death rate, by the way, and that disease is going to involve wild animals. Many people think that this could be an increase of rats, vermin, in the urbanization of the population centers of our world. Even today, in Baghdad, Calcutta, and other urban centers, the rats are everywhere. In the 14th century, you recall the bubonic plague around Europe killed off a third of Europe's population, right? Could it be that this is what it's talking about here? I know some of you have pet rats. We don't know, but it's going to be a terrible time of plagues. Now, other plagues could be AIDS, it could be E. coli, SARS, smallpox, anthrax, hepatitis A. And so sword, famine, and plagues sum up the disasters symbolized by the red, black, and pallid horses. And these also echo covenant curses inflicted on Jerusalem in the exile, the prophets tell us. Let's do some math. Today, 2017, roughly 7 billion on the planet. I don't know how many people are going to be inhabiting the earth at the time of these events, but right now, if the plague of death kills a fourth of the earth, that's 1.75 billion people, leaving 5.25 billion that survive. Now, later on, we're not there yet, chapter 9, we learn of another plague that kills another third of the world's population. Again, assuming that there's 7 billion like there are today at this time, that means another 2.3 billion gone, perishing, leaving only 2.95 billion survivors on this planet. Now, I haven't talked about the other judgments and the other plagues we're going to learn about, wiping out billions more. 
But I suspect that by the time Yeshua returns, the total population of this planet will be considerably less than what we have today. Could be less than half a billion people. Isn't that incredible? Lord, help us. Let's sum it up. The four horsemen are sent out. Operate seemingly during a similar time frame. Delivering early judgments upon the world. These events associated with each of these horsemen, they're interacting in very interesting and complex ways, we see. For example, the black horse, global economic crisis, likely contributes to war, the red horse, and vice versa. And likewise, both of these could easily set help the, st- the stage for the pallid horse events, the disease, to occur, and vice versa. Now, meanwhile, while all that's going down, the white horse if you're with me anyway on this interpretation, performs his mission on behalf of Israel throughout all of these events, revival and judgment in parallel. Now, the end result of this complex complex interaction of these four horsemen appears to the world onlookers at this time as, man, world events are spiraling out of control. People that were relatively calm are going to give way to waves of global disaster, periods of relative calm, rather, Seemingly without warning, we were just chatting upstairs before the service about Irma and how, you know, they had a week to prepare and how blessed we are in California because if we're going to get judged earthquake, we don't get any warning, it just happens. and It's not much of a comfort, actually, but these waves are going to continue in frequency, in intensity, as with the pains of a woman in travail. Do you see that? Now, small detail that some will argue, a small one, that the first four seals describe what Yeshua called the beginning of sorrows. They equate this period with the first half of Daniel's 70th week. And seals number five, six, and seven encompass the last half, the three and a half years, entitled Great Tribulation. And so as those judgments get ever more severe, so will the sense of alarm built up by them. Now many believe, they many will believe, that the Great Tribulation is here, when in fact this travail is going to go on without end, longer than nominal believers are prepared to tolerate. Millions, I believe, this is my opinion, millions of believers are going to become embittered. Why? Because they've not been raptured out of here before these troubles. It is a, listen, if the pre-tribulation position is correct and the post-trib that I subscribe to is error, they're not leaving me behind. I'm not going to be stupid enough to be remaining here during this outpouring of judgment and wrath, believe me. But if they're not right, we need to be ready. All right. Now, it seems that the work of these four horsemen must do the work of separating many of the wicked from the righteous in preparation for the final decisive events in the period of great tribulation, the last half of the seven-year period of the week. Now, let's look at number five, seal number five, uh, verses nine, ten, and eleven. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been put to death for proclaiming the word of God that is for bearing witness. And they cried out in a loud voice, Sovereign Ruler, Kadosh, the Holy One, the True One, how long will it be before you judge the people living on earth and avenge our blood? And each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants should be reached of their brothers who would be killed just as they had been. Dangerous persecution, seal number five. And so what happened here, evidently, is now we're back up in heaven. Earlier, John had seen a throne room in heaven. We talked about that in chapters four and five. But now he sees what can be surmised as a temple. 
And the altar of this temple was evidently an altar of sacrifice. This was not an incense altar. This is an altar of sacrifice. And under this altar, the Bible tells us here, were the lives of people who had died for their faith in the Lord and their faithfulness to God during the period just described so far in this time of tribulation. John sees these martyrs calling out to the Holy One, the true God, to punish their murderers. And notice that each martyr receives a white robe symbolizing, again, salvation, immortality, and so on. Now, it's an odd image, isn't it? Souls underneath the altar. It's understood, to be understood, or should be understood, in the light of rabbinic literature. There is a second century CE rabbinic document that states this. Hakadosh, the Holy One, blessed be He, took the soul of Moses and stored it under the throne of glory. Not only the soul of Moses is stored under the throne of glory, but the souls of the righteous are also stored there. Rabbi Akiba used to say, whoever is buried beneath the altar, it is as though he were buried beneath the throne of glory. Rabbi Natan Habavli, and David Stern brings this out in his Jewish New Testament commentary, the scriptures make room for vengeance, my friends. The martyrs recognize that while vengeance is not properly within the human domain, it is a function of our God. And moreover, just as the voice of Abel's blood cries out to God early in Genesis 4 from the ground, righteousness demands payment. It demands vengeance for murder or wrongful death. Now, when we read this, we think a lot of things. Some believe in soul sleep. That is, when we die, that there's no consciousness whatsoever until the time of the resurrection. But here, the Bible says we have souls under the heavenly altar who have been slain for their testimony. They seek justice by having their blood avenged upon those who killed them, the faithful. They surely have a consciousness. And we know that there were more martyrs in the 20th century than in any other century. There are some who claim that there are more martyrs in the last century than all the other centuries combined even. I suspect, well, we know it will get worse. It is worse, but there are some special rewards for those who are martyred for the faith. This is no Marriott robe they were given, my friends, by the way. The martyrs are told, though, to wait a little bit longer. When? Until, quote, until the full number of their fellow servants should be reached of their brothers who would be killed just as they had been. And so apparently there is a full, a full number of martyrs which cannot be exceeded, per verse 11. And when that number gets reached, then it sets in motion the events that transpire afterwards here in the book of Revelation, progressively showing that the Lord, how He's going to answer their prayers to avenge their murder, their death. Still with me? Go on. Finish this chapter. Then I watched as He broke the sixth seal, and there was such a great earthquake. The sun turned black as sackcloth worn in mourning and the full moon became blood red. The stars fell from heaven to earth, just as a, a fig tree drops its figs when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the earth's kings, the rulers, the generals, the rich and the mighty, indeed everyone, slave and free, hid himself in caves and among the rocks and the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fallen and hide us! from the face of the one sitting on the throne and from the fury of the Lamb. For the great day of their fury has come, and who can stand? Panic, destruction. The scene shifts back from the altar in the throne room, in the temple sanctuary, back to earth. 
Great physical changes are going to go down. Adonai will send a tremendous planet-sized earthquake. That's going to rock the whole world. We can expect major clashes of the earth's tectonic plates, causing mountains and islands to be moved out of their places. Listen, we're in the early birth pains. Maybe we're even before that. Barbuda, done. Nobody's living in Barbuda today. 1,800. Most of them were believers, by the way. They're living in Antigua. It's going to take 250 million to even get infrastructure back there. We're not even in the birth pains possibly yet. Now, it's interesting. I looked on the USGS, US Geological website. Over the last century, earthquakes have continued to increase, right? The trend is continuing in the 21st century. This is directly off their website. Very interesting picture. From the time of 1 CE, AD, to the year 1000, there were 15 earthquakes that took place at that time, during that period, magnitude of 7.0 or higher. Okay? So between the year 1 and 1000, the first thousand years of this age, that would be one every 66 years. Earthquakes over 7.0, major ones. From the time of the year 1000 to 1800, so eight centuries, there were 114 earthquakes, 7.0 or higher. That's down from one every 66 years. Now we're down to one in seven years is taking place from the year 1000 to 1800. Go from 1800 to 1900, that century, 115 earthquakes at 7.0. That's one every 10 months. From 1900 to 1980, 774 earthquakes, 7.0 or higher. That's going down to one every 37 days. From 1980 to 2000, 255 earthquakes at 7.0. That's one every 28 days. And from the year 2001 to right now, including this last one, 272 earthquakes, 7.0. That's one every 22 days. I'm convicted to get some earthquake insurance. <laughs> um, the darkening of the sun, the Bible talks about here. The reddening, like blood of the moon. The falling of the stars to earth appear to be the consequences of this sixth seal judgment. Now that the stars do not literally fall, but only appear to fall, seems clear because the stars are still in place in chapter 8. This is a reference, maybe anyway, to meteorites right, falling to earth. Or it just may be possibly a reference to fallen angels. Because actual stars are larger than earth. And as such, they would not be a reference to actual stars. Even in modern times, we use the term falling stars to refer to meteors. And so this fact suggests that we could also understand the other phenomenon described here as only appearing to happen. In other words, how these things are going to look to earth as we view them. Okay. Now, it sounds very much like a supernova, actually. You see, when stars use up half of their hydrogen, they go through a stage called supernova in which they grow to immense sizes, and then they collapse, and then they turn black. And then the light comes back on, and the star turns into what is called a white dwarf, producing about the same amount of light and heat as before, but from a much reduced size. Our sun is a star. In the event that the sun should become a supernova, the same scenario would take place. The earth and the moon would be heated up to very extreme high temperatures. But the moon as opposed to the earth, lacks this protective atmosphere that we have. And as a result, it could easily appear blood red, as we saw two years ago in another aspect of that. And so while we're having this red disk in our sky in the future, then the sun would turn black. Evidently, the sky is going to appear, John goes on to say, to split or to roll back 
like a scroll in two opposite directions. Apparently, the opening of the sky will cause earth dwellers a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. Pretty cool. Now, probably the earthquake is going to cause mountains and islands to rise and fall. In response, the unbeliever's perception of God and the wrath of the Lamb in heaven will be far more terrifying to them than the physical consequence of this judgment. Kind of sounds a little bit like a nuclear holocaust. Because the nuclear, the nuclear explosion would do this, would turn the sky red, would cause the sky to recede, to roll up. When it says the sky receded, this means the atmosphere. And we've all seen those pictures of the early atom bombs exploded by the U.S. before Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It looks like it's being rolled up like a scroll, the atmosphere. And the reaction of the people is going to be utter panic. The great day of their fury is the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. These people will not turn to God in repentance, but they were going to turn away from God because of their terror of Him. And by the end of this sixth seal judgment, they will know that what they're experiencing is the outpouring of God's wrath. This is the first part of the judgment phase of the day of the Lord. The tribulation will be a distinct judgment of God. It will be worldwide, my friends. It will be extremely severe. And furthermore, everyone will not only know that it's a divine judgment, but they will act like it by seeking death in order to hide from God. Not just to escape the judgment, to actually hide from God. They would prefer death. The judgments of the sixth seal appear to be a foreshadowing of the similar but even greater judgments that will come at the end of the tribulation just before the Messiah Yeshua returns to earth. We're going to close. I ask you to stand with me. It's a very sobering passage of Scripture. For sure. And I want us to contemplate this as a community as you and I move into next week a dual fold time of repentance as well as celebration at these high holy days in the days ahead and the weeks ahead. I try to be encouraging. Knowing the Lord is our only hope. Getting right with God. Let's not be like those who see the sky roll up and, and want to hide and ask the rocks to kill us because of our terror of God. We need to be walking with God. Father God, we thank you and we praise you. But Lord, we have the news before any news network. Lord, there's not much we can do to prepare in the natural, as many were unprepared in Florida, even with warning. We have warning, Lord. God, let us be spiritually prepared. Let us go into these fall holy days sober, but recognizing, Lord, if the white horse is Yeshua or the word of God or the course of the gospel, that revival can go forth similarly at this time of your judgment. And Lord, that's what brings hope and excitement to be alive at this time, to see the greatest outpouring of your spirit on this earth that we have ever seen before. So, Lord, as you prepare the hearts of not only our Jewish people over this next week, Lord, would you prepare the hearts of those in our world who have seen a dramatic earthquake 8.1, who have seen the two most costly hurricanes that we've ever seen. Lord, of all the things that are coming, we know, Lord, it is a time to wake up. The book of Revelation would become our roadmap. So God, as we prayed last week, may we be like the men and women of Yisachar that knew what Israel was to do, who understood the times, and knew what Israel was to do. Father, we're seeing the degeneration of our nation morally in so many ways, God. But I thank you, Lord, that revival is going forward in parallel. We're seeing amazing things around our earth. 
Millions are coming back to know you. Millions are making, are making shuvah, repentance. Many are coming back to know you, Lord. And so we're thankful that you're holding this off for another time, Lord, for a time that we can continue to go forward. The gospel can be preached. There's coming a day when no man will be able to work in these regards. And Lord, I thank you for more time to get the good news out. We pray for our family members, and our neighbors, and our co-workers that don't yet know Yeshua. Lord, we don't want to see them as those who look at the sky being rolled up and desire death because of, of the, that they're terrorized. But Lord, hide us in the cleft of the rock of your spirit. And so we bless you now, Lord. We thank you for the sobering word. And uh, Lord, we appreciate being born at this time to see the greatest outpouring of the Spirit as you wrap up your story, his story, on this planet. We give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you glory. He named me as we sang today. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Send us. And as the Lord told Moses to share with Aaron and his sons a blessing, so May we receive that blessing from God today as a community. We gear up for the big showdown on this planet. Receive it from God today. May the Lord bless you and keep you today. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance above you and grant you shalom. In the name of the Prince of all peace, Yeshua of Nazareth, and all of us who are with him to the end said, Amen. I mean, I want to well, I want to wish you all a Shabbat Shalom. Torah study to begin in a few minutes in the study. We'll see you back Wednesday night for Rosh Hashanah. Shalom, everybody. Bring your shofars. Explode the myths. Explore the truth. Expand your heart to God's presence in your life on Solace Radio.